Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Off the Post. I'm Russ Cohen. We've got Anthony Mingione. And how are you? I'm doing fine on this uh, wonderful summer Sunday, although it doesn't quite feel like summer outside. It's a little cooler <laughs> today here in Philadelphia. I imagine what it's like for Mike in Buffalo right now. Well, hold on. I've got a bone to pick with you because you're basically saying that a tweet that you sent from the show that shows a coffee cup and I say that I don't drink coffee doesn't pertain to me, but anything that happens on this show pertains to me. And the fact that there wasn't, like, an iced tea emoji shows that you don't even know me. Well, it's, number one, it's, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. If you're drinking an iced tea this early in the morning, Ross, I have some concerns about your sugar intake. To begin it's with. unsweetened. <laughs> I drink unsweetened. I don't even drink sweetened iced tea. Come on, man. You don't even know me. <laughs> you don't know me. This has already turned out to be a sad show. All right, go ahead, Mike. Whatever. Hello. <laughs> That's Great. all I have to say. Come on, pithy Great. comment, Mike. You have to start to show the pithy comment. You know that. Come on. Uh, okay, I, I I went out yesterday to uh, to have some to to because uh, right right now in Buffalo the only thing that's open are for restaurants or pa- patios, and I went to a restaurant in downtown Buffalo and sat in their on a plastic table and a chair for forty five minutes and did not get served. So I, I left. Oof. So ow. You didn't, get, you didn't even get served. Ouch. How many tables? Yeah. That's the obvious question. Then how many was this like? I mean, was there a ton of tables out at this place? Because most of the in Philly restaurants have had maybe about. I mean, I've seen basically like a few chair, tables and chairs out. But is this like you know? Was there a lot out for this the, one? The, it was in their parking lot. They had put up a dozen chairs and and a dozen tables with chairs, and the waitress was was. Um, uh, addressing the tables that had four or five people, it was me and one other person, and you know we got ignored and looked over, yeah. and then they said, "Oh, we'll that's come and problem. give you a menu after 40 minutes," and they still didn't. I said, "Well, that's ridiculous." I mean, yeah, that. I mean, yeah. I, I get you know. I know sometimes if you're under man, uh, understaffed and everything at the moment, but still, it's like if you're 40 minutes like. and not a single person comes up to you and asks you what yeah. you're interested in ordering, that's that's pretty terrible. Even in I'll this era, a, that's pretty that's pretty terrible service. It's a legit I'll, I'll right. Make a, I'll make a mental note when we when we get completely open and avoid going there in the future. But let's get there. You go. Hockey talk. Yep. All right. So let's let's talk about hockey. I guess we'll start with the uh, with the hub cities. Like we all knew Vegas was going to happen. So Vegas is obviously a hub city. Now, what we didn't know what would happen is that the NHL, who has an agreement with MGM for gambling, would now also have an agreement with them for hotels. And the interesting part about that, and of course, for people that don't know, I, I was in the hotel business for 10 years, have a degree, so I always have an interest in, in this part of life anyhow, especially when it comes with sports and intersects with it. And, and what's, what's the interesting part is, I know the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction is like, well, why would a hotel keep parts of it or all of it closed to NHL players, and, and my answer is because 
even though Vegas is going to have a lot of visitors, it doesn't mean every hotel is going to be filled. And hotels work off of occupancy. The more occupancy you have, the more people you could hire, the more people that work every day, right? And so they're going for the occupancy. And consider also the time of year as well. I mean, I know people on vacation and everything, but again, you're talking about Vegas in the dead of summer. It's going to be a challenge nonetheless, you know, with the rinks and everything, just from that, that perspective. But from the hotel perspective, I mean, people are going in and out of Vegas all the time, but I would especially think that, you know, in the, in the dead heat of summer, there's definitely – there has to be sometimes a little bit of a dip yeah, uh, for the, for those hotels, I think I think when you're getting in, into this into that into this point, I may be wrong on that because I'm sure that you. Know, but again, in a, in a COVID nineteen world, um, there's no question that those hotels are nowhere anywhere near the filled capacity that they that they would be normally. Yeah, Mike, I used to sit in on meetings with like general managers, and and sometimes there would be calls from you know like corporate, and all we would talk about is the occupancy and what's coming up and forecasting, and I would have to forecast. And so, like, right now, if I were forecasting and I knew I could get X amount of room nights from the NHL and that's guaranteed and maybe I have to do some of these other things, I also have a captive audience, so I know that my food and beverage sales are going to go up and everything else is going to go up. I'm going to push for that guaranteed business. Yeah, and think about it. It's like you're going to have – uh, well, 12 teams in the hub, so that's 600 rooms for a month, uh, and then then it'll go down to to what, 300 and 200 and whatever. But that's that's a guaranteed block of people. Now, the one thing I'm concerned about, and I know that if they, if they do what we've been saying for like the last month or so uh, about like going to a, a, a hotel off the strip like the Orleans, like you mentioned, uh, yeah. we won't. Have there won't be any interaction with with uh, you know normal patrons. And like when I see somebody like the video that came out last week of the guy at a casino in Vegas smoking a cigarette while he's wearing his mask and pulling the mask off and smoking, and then I mean it doesn't doesn't exactly speak to like pristine conditions. So hopefully they're sequestered. But again, we know the we know that it's an issue with the players regarding uh, being in a bubble but also being able to, quote, live a life, unquote. And it's like you're going to have to give up a little bit. There's going to have to be some sacrifices about, you know, what's going to go on during this two months. Yeah, no question. And it's interesting that the NHL seems to have this part of their deal hammered out early where the NBA had part of it hammered out, but seems like they didn't really communicate it to the players. And so when the players found out that, oh, uh, people who clean our rooms and service or whatever, they're going to go home and they're just not going to, we're just not going to be in the room when they clean it, but they're just going to wear masks. But, like, what if they bring the virus back into the bubble? Like, that's a legit concern, and, and that's something where I'm surprised it got this far without that conversation happening. It is strange. I think figured this would have been a conversation they would have certainly have had at this point. And, I, again, I, I get what the NBA is trying to do. They want to make sure to give the appearance of making sure that they've got everything in order. But in reality, I mean, for a league, and it's interesting because, again, for a league that is, let's face it, as player, you know, in terms of, you know, especially the superstar players really kind of call, in many ways, call the shots for the sport as much more than maybe possibly as much or more than any other sport by structure or or whatever, um, that this 
was not yet communicated to the players is, in my mind, a, a bit odd and certainly begs the question for sort of the transparency. Again, I would also say, again, the difficulties of the situation that's involved with trying to restart the league in this environment to begin with, without a vaccine, there's so many variables that can be presented here yeah. that it was always going to be tough, and it's going to be, and the NHL is going to be facing, you know, even yes. with the United Front, the NHL is going to be facing the exact same questions. So, you know, and that, of course, builds into the whole, well, why even have this? in the first place why even have the and we and we know the answer to the question as to why they're having it but from a human perspective it's understandable certainly well yeah and go ahead mike well the one advantage i think the nhl had over any of the sports is the fact that you know batman was proactive and he got with donald fear and he put this return to play committee and it was not just the pa represented and just the owners represented it was the owners it was the PA, it was some players, it was some, you know, it was it touched on a number of different areas, and everybody had a say in it, and I think that's why, you know, their approach has basically been more widely accepted and more uniform. Now, that's not to say that, you know, down the line when apparently the PA or, or, the, or the rank and file get a chance to vote on taking the final step to stage four, whether they're going to approve it or not. I mean, there's still a right. potential of them being, being a little hesitant, but at least in this instance, they've had a hand in all the decisions, so it's not going to be any kind of big surprise coming up. I'm going to tell you, there's two things, and, and again, um, I wrote a book a long time ago with Nico Riesgo, who I do a baseball show with called Strike Three, and there's a lot of stuff about Donald Fear in there, and I've always respected the guy, and, and I have to say, Ant, right now, the last few years, his relationship with Gary Bettman has been completely harmonious, has helped the sport, and I dare say... Right now, hockey is probably the most player-friendly sport. I know you said the NBA used to be, but right now, during tough times, it, it certainly seems like the league has done I think from, well above and beyond to make yeah. the players comfortable. I think from possibly, again, there's also the, the, the added social aspect of things right now, too, that creates a bit of a, um, a bit maybe potentially puts in a bit more harmoniousness here, maybe for the NHL versus, let's say, the NBA in this case, where... There's obviously, for many of the players, uh, there is the, you know, and everybody's obviously has been, you know, been touched on or affected by what is going on of late, certainly with the, pro- with, 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 with the protests and everything going on throughout the country. But for, you know, there, there's this other sort of variable, I think, that we can say that, you know, that the NBA has to face in this circumstance versus potentially what the NHL does. And that's just, again, the reality of the situation. But I do agree with you that, the NHL has the appearance of having their ducks in a row a bit more right now with, you know, as Mike indicated, with having the players really in the loop, the line of communication uh, being really good. And that's probably the biggest, most important thing here versus, you know, potentially what the NBA has going here. And obviously compared to the absolute acrimony that exists in baseball. Mike, any thoughts on that? No, I, I, I think that's right, and I think that, I mean, you see how bad it is in baseball right now and the, and the, the level of, of, of discord between the two sides. And I think, you know, the it's NBA – It's brutal, yeah. yeah the, it's, it's brutal. And, and the, with the NBA, it's like I think their disadvantage is there's, I think they have pretty much a weak 
uh, leader of their union, I, somebody I didn't even know anything about uh, a couple weeks ago, didn't even know the person's name. It, they're de- it's like the NBA is like Adam Silver dealing with LeBron James. It's not. It's it's got to be more than just LeBron James and a couple star players. It's got to be also the rank and file. And when I when I heard uh, Morgan Riley make some comments in his uh, Zoom call earlier in the week, he said whenever we wanted information from the league, we were able to get it. And it wasn't yeah. just because John Tavares was on the return to play committee or former teammates like Hainsey and, and Van Riemsdyk were. It was available to any player. So anybody who had questions about what was going on had it available to them. And that's, I think, a definite advantage for the, for the league. Yeah, that's, that's definitely been an advantage. Okay, so last night uh, there was a tweet from Sportsnet that said, players who need work visas extended through the postseason were strongly encouraged this week to return to Canada or the U.S. by June 21st. So, and, and that would make sense because if for some reason they have to be quarantined, they would still make the opening for camp. And, and that's the, there's two, this is a two-fold thing. So the first fold is they're telling the players, get back by that date in case you have to quarantine, even though we're hoping you get special dispensation. And then, of course, this could also affect the hub cities if – in fact, Canada doesn't lift their restrictions, which I know everybody says they're supposed to, it looks good, and they might. You never know until, you're, until it's, they say it is. Right. And, again, I, I, it's another example, I think, again, of where the, where, where the league is kind of showing and, and a lot of the teams are showing the fact that, you know, we, we want this to get off the ground. We want to try to get this off and running. And having that kind of set in place, kind of allow that sort of flexibility to have that sort of window of having the players in. If they do have to quarantine, they get that window in and finish before they actually have to get to do. So I think it's, it's I think all in all, it's a, it, it, it's, it's a good, smart, um, practical move in that regard. Yep. Mike? It, it may be part partly the 14-day quarantine, but from, the, from the, the gist of the article, I think it was Elliot Friedman that wrote it, it was more the fact that all their work visas expire June 30th because normally their okay. season is over with by June the 30th. And because they would be outside of the country, uh, they, I don't know if they couldn't apply or there would be a slowness in the, in, in the uh, application process if they were, say, in Sweden or Finland and were applying for a work visa. Now, that in this instance, they have to, they'll be back in the country, and, they, and they're still under their old work visa, and they can apply for an extension for two or three months uh, because, obviously, the schedule has changed from you know, the playoffs being from April to June to be from August to October. Right. So another interesting tweet happened last night from Chris Johnston saying that a staff member tested positive for COVID-19 with the Coyotes. Now, I only bring this up because Ant, on, on the buzzcast the other day, when we were seeing that players were coming back and practicing, I asked the question, and of course, Kevin Allen, and none of us knew the answer, well, what about the employees that are at the rink? We know that they're you know pared down, but you still need workers at the rink, are they being tested all the time? And I'm going to say it looks like that's probably the case because that's probably the only way you're finding out that a staff member, you know, has it, is asymptomatic too. Yeah, and I think it's important, again, in this circumstance, it's good that you have that transparency. Again, this is important. You have anybody who's basically involved with this, you know straight from the get-go. Everybody knows straight from the get-go what, uh, you know, it's, 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 again, Transparency is critical here. 
um, and making sure this. And it also goes to a rather interesting point of it. It was a question that was asked to somebody. I said, well, what about media covering these event, these games and events? And if you think about it, again, you've already got the variable of staff members potentially having COVID, right? Yeah. And you're getting, you can add another further variable it, 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 with with this regard as well. So. I'm just gonna again. I think for the most part, this is this is a good thing uh, that we know, that that this is known and, and aware. And you know, as we move forward, I'm sure that there still will be more cases uh, in this circumstance. And the key is obviously making sure to keep uh, everything as, as tight as possible. Yep, Mike. Yeah, I would be surprised if any media member is allowed at these hub cities, probably through the first two rounds, maybe even through the conference finals and maybe only in the Stanley Cup final where it's the final two weeks. And, yeah. you know, any exposure would be lessened because it takes time. You know, like it, it, it takes a few weeks for it to, to show, so maybe they would risk it at that point since this end of the season is near. But I have a feeling that what's going to ha- end up happening is we're going to have post-game interviews with the coaches and the players via Zoom and that uh, unless you're a rights holder, and maybe not even that, because then those reporters would have to be sequestered with the teams. And I don't know if anybody's willing to, you know, as, as a reporter to be, you know, to be uh, in those places sequestered for a couple months. You know, the players have to do it, but the reporters don't. Um, whether you know that's going to be the case or not. Right. No, that's that's all fair. And um, honestly, at the end of the day, you're trying to again, if you're going to try to get this thing all the way through its conclusion. You want to lessen the variables as much as possible. And yes, whether we like, right. again, I know there have been some, some talk about whether or not if we get to the finals, if you're going to bring, you know, some fans in at, at that point for, for when you get to the finals. And I, I honestly don't see why, if, if you're already sort of, things are already moving relatively smoothly. It's mm-hmm. the old phrase, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And You might be right, working, yeah. Yeah. If, it, if it's working, again, the NHL may just look at it and say, again, and, and just say, hey, if it's working, we're just trying to, we're trying to get to the end of this thing, and we package this thing the right way with, with more access that you normally would have with some of our crew that's there. But, again, making sure that, you know, everything is sort of in that sort of tightly controlled setup. You get through that, and then you know you get you get to the end of the season. And again, even with the Stanley Cup Finals, as tempting as it may be, if I'm in the league office, if it's me, I don't make any, I don't take the risk. I make sure that this thing is is you know it, you know is a tight. If your biggest event, I hate to use this as a comparison with wrestling, but if wrestle, you know, again, again, it's a one-off event, or you right. it's a one-off event. But if it's a major event. You want to limit the, again, you get to the big showcase event. You want that thing to be packaged really well, perfectly, for fans to engage in as much as possible, as much as you'd like a live crowd. Um, it just, if it's, if it's working, just leave it as is, get it to the end, because then by the time you get to the start of the following season, you might, may, you may have your vaccine at that point. Start worrying about fans for the 2020-21 season, I would say, at that point. Totally fair. All right. So I thought another fun topic might be um, the NHL awards ballot came out this week, and I certainly was lucky enough to get one, and I filled it out. And I'm not going to say results, but certainly what's being talked about is the Calder race. And so you have, you know, the the top two guys are Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. I don't, you know, no disrespect for to Dominique Kubelik who had 30 goals, but I don't think he's winning. 
So <clears throat> most everybody's talking about the other two. And, and what I find interesting about it is I remember when Barrett Jackman won the Calder, and he was a defensive defenseman. Like, we're never going to see that again. But seeing these two guys who were supremely talented offensive defensemen, and not only Calder guys, but, you know, you can make the argument they're top 20 guys in the league already, um, shows we're in a different era here. We are. We're in a, I mean, again, we are in a, as we've heard time and time again, this, the NHL has increasingly become a north-south league. Um, especially when you get into the playoffs, it is, it, it, it's very much about how quick you can hit your, your opponent in transition, uh, heading up the ice, spring-loaded passes, things of that sort. When we get, you know, and as much as we talk about how things slow a little bit to a grind, it's the teams that can counter-rush quickly and pounce on a person's, on an opponent's mistakes. Uh, that's the one. And, again, that starts from the defense, that, that starts from, from the back line out and how mm-hmm. quickly you can move it and also cover against that as well. So, yeah, again, the, the days of a, of a Barrett Jackman uh, getting a Calder trophy at this point now, you, the, we don't want to use the phrase and say it's the best offensive defenseman award, although it's been an argument for that for some time in, in terms – because, again, if you're looking at it from sort of a tiebreaker perspective, that, 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 that potentially if you're look, trying, to get, trying to pare things down and say, okay, who contributes one extra thing that the other guy doesn't, that's where people look. Yeah. Mike, any thoughts? Yeah, the, uh, the, the likelihood of a defensive defenseman winning the, uh, the Calder or winning, or the Norris, for that matter, is probably about as likely as a relief pitcher winning the Cy Young in baseball. It's just not going to happen yeah. anymore. Even though I think defensive defensemen are still worthwhile in the league, it's, sure. it's not a big selling point. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be the, the, the player, at least on defense, that, that carries the puck, that's a power play quarterback, that gets points, and probably limits his liability defensively. You know, I mean, these the, with, with the Makar and with Hughes, I, I think that they, they rely on their, on their hockey IQ and their guile to not be defensive liabilities, even though neither one of them are really big-bodied big guys. They're just, they just have incredible speed, incredible playmaking ability, and they can avoid the physical contact, and they can also avoid making the, making the, the mistakes that rookie defensemen normally make. So, I mean, this is, a, this is a fantastic defensive rookie class on top of those two with, with Adam Fox on top of it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Fantastic, but you know, I, like I, I didn't have a ballot. But if I did, I would have probably picked Quinn Hughes as the winner. But Makar was a very good second. Oh yeah, no question about it. Hard to argue that. All right, so another fun thing, and I'll swing the mic on this first. So in 2018, Rasmus Dahlin went first, and Quinn Hughes went seventh. Would the Sabers be better off with Quinn Hughes now or Rasmus Dahlin, Mike? <sighs> I mean, I, I mean, I, Darlene had a great rookie year. He took a little step back this year, but then second half was good. I mean, Darlene is, I think, more of a physical specimen. I think he's going to be – I mean, not to say that Dead Hughes isn't going to be a top-pairing defenseman, but they're completely two, type, two different types of defensemen. I think Darlene, as he, as he grows and gets stronger, is probably going to be closer to Victor Hedman in terms of his ability to dominate the game and I think be an offensive and a defensive force, whereas I, I don't know how much of a defensive force Hughes will be but offensively, he can grow. I, I think they're both great players, but I, I still would have taken Darlene if I was the Sabres. Okay, that's fair. Ant, any thoughts on that one? 
I think uh, considering the dysfunction that ex- existed in the Buffalo Sabres organization, I'm not necessarily sure that um, in either circumstance, whether or not Quinn Hughes would have flourished, um, I, I think in many ways he, he might have followed the, again, each player is individual and different, but if you look at, you know, the environment in Vancouver versus the environment in Buffalo, I think that very much also shapes how a player will perform or develop over time. It's individual, but it's also the environment as well. And um, I, I, I don't think the Sabres made a mistake in drafting Rasmus Dahlin. They just need to make sure to put around him and around Jack Eichel. They need to put some – they just have to have a better structure around those players to help them flourish. Okay. Yeah, no, it's, one of the, it's, it's one of the few things that they did right over the last few years. Yeah, no question. I, that's why I just thought it would be a fun conversation. I don't disagree with, with any of it. All right, so now with a food take. I, I do want to say that Ant, I did some, some heavy research here, and I did find out that that Kraft macaroni and cheese Oreo is fake. That was not real. The people at Oreo actually came out and said, not only is it not real, we don't have plans for it. But I noticed people made a lot of fake ones. They made um, McDonald's cheeseburger Oreos, just to kind of, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken Oreos, just to kind of mock the fact that they have 10,000 flavors now. But a company that has probably 11,000 flavors is Pop-Tarts. And I do want to say, as horrible as a pumpkin Pop-Tart would be, and apparently they make it, Yeah, I think... You've had it, yes. And you like it? It's good. I'm not. I'm. I'm not a pumpkin hater like you are. So it was I know. Fun. I'm just asking your opinion. That's <laughs> all. You. You don't have to defend yourself. I'm not defending myself. I'm just saying. No, no. You, you took a tone. There was a little. Yeah, there was a little, a little defensive tone good. there. Well, yeah, you would know because you're the expert on tones. <laughs> <laughs> so. So now we talk about. Two flavors that shouldn't be mixed. Now, on its own, I like A&W root beer. But I don't want an A&W root beer Pop-Tart that's also iced. So it has icing, too. I don't want that. I don't understand who... So it's a Pop-Pop-Tart? I don't know who wants that. How does that sound to you, Ant? Is that something that you're going to go out and buy now? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I like my hey, listen. At the end of the day, I know we eat stuff, and we have, and we, and we and I'm not much. I'm not as not as much of a soda person as I was when I was younger. But uh, no, <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, there, 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 are, there are certain foods when you look at them that you say, okay, I can see that. I'll give it a try. That's mm-hmm. not one of them. I know that I know that Pop Tarts like has a Fruit Loop a Fruit Loops flavored Pop Tart. I like Fruit Loops. I would try I'd give it a bite and see and if I, it was disgusting I'd spit it out and throw it out. But I would at least try that. But A&W root beer? No. Sorry. Okay. And and so Mike just because I I believe in follow up um any any news on the Tang front? No, no, I, I, I hadn't get a, gotten around to ordering the fruit punch or the grape. I, I, I had the grape years ago, so I'm going to write that one off because I remember it. I didn't like it. 
Um, okay. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm an, a, an official aficionado of the orange, of the, the basic orange tang. But I think for the purposes of this show, I will, you know, spend the $2.99 for the fruit punch tang and drink one glass just to see if it matches up to Hawaiian punch or not. All right. Well, we'll, we'll definitely be waiting on that result. Now, just With because... <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to see who officially owns Tang, and it looks like it's General Mills. Oh, no. Okay. It, no, no, no. It was General Mills. Now it's Mondelez International. So it's, a, it's an American company split off from Kraft Foods. That's who owns it now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, did not, I did not know that. Now, Mike, now, I also... Everyone now has officially learned something from this show today. Well, hold on. You're going to learn a little more. Now... <laughs> <laughs> now they also have Tang drink mix packets. So in case you don't want to have like like a whole tub of it hanging around for the next 50 years, and in the mix packets they have grape, tangerine, and hibiscus tea flavors. Tea flavored mm. Tang. Mm. Oh, no. Michael, your mission. <laughs> no. Your mission should you choose to accept. <laughs> no. No, no. I'd I'd rather get I'd rather get tested for the coronavirus like I did this morning. I'd rather have a swab stuck up my nasal passage or, or down my throat than to try hibiscus tang. And they're not going there. Oh, so I, so, that, so, so, so my my gift reply of Dan Levy gagging was uh, accurate yes. for you today, huh? It, it, it was accurate, and I am going to seek out the hibiscus tang. And and see what that's all about. I don't know if they're using it in space. That's the thing. So it's all because it's. I don't know. Is Tank still affiliated with the space program? I know. Well, they, I think they, I think they invented it. So or they they they, they did, but I don't know. Is it, it was it on the latest space shuttle that went up? Do we know that? No, I think they. I think yeah, they graduated from. They, they tried it. They fired it into the sun. <laughs> and, and that's why the sun is so warm and orange and beautiful because it's been injected with tang. Oh, that's that's just that is just fantastic. All right, well we're going to leave it there. That's it for off the post, and we'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody. Tang rules. <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.